a Theology Doesn't Suck podcast, where hopefully theology doesn't suck. Uh, my name is... Yeah, I, I, that's our goal, you know. <laughs> but uh, for those who don't know yet, my name is Josh. Uh, I'm super excited to be here, and I am with my partner, whose name is... Andy. I'm Andy. Sweet. And I have a mustache. That's a good name. Yeah, and it's way better than mine. Like, I'm super jealous. you have a mustache right now? No, I can't. Okay. Don't judge me, but I like, like I, I can't grow one. <laughs> I my my mustache is a crustache, and my wife Noelle is like, mm. dude, shave it off. It you look awful. Oh, She's on. Harsh man. Yeah, well, she. I mean, I, I guess that's good. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do yeah. it. But I, anyway, man, like I'm so I'm super excited. I don't um I don't know how you feel about this, but like craft beer is something I'm passionate about. Okay. Uh, you know, I've, I've never been like a super big, uh, like, oh, let's go out to the bar, drink a bunch of like Natty Bow or Bud Light and just get super <laughs> crashed and blackout. That's not my thing. Uh, I used to get made fun of in college because I would buy six beers for what my friends would pay for like 36 beers, but uh, mine actually, yes. mine, mine tasted good and, and theirs was took, awesome. You probably took longer to drink them too, huh? Most definitely, yeah. <laughs> And they wouldn't even remember drinking theirs, and I'd be able yeah. to be like, hey, man, this is super stellar. I enjoy this. But, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm a Washington Capitals fan. However, the Florida Panthers, since I'm living in South Florida, uh, you know, they partnered recently with a brewery that I'm super fond of called Funky Buddha Brewery. And Funky Buddha makes this beer called the Floridian, which is a Hefeweizen. Uh, it's super good. Um, I've grown very wise since I've lived here in South Florida, but they recently announced a partnership with Funky Buddha, which is super cool to me. And they, uh, they actually, they're opening up a tap room at the Florida Panthers stadium. Um, and they announced kind of like a special beer specifically for the Florida Panthers. And it's called gloves off hazy red IPA. Um, okay. so they just announced it and I, um, I super duper want to try it. I mean, uh, with yeah. a name like that, Gloves Off, Hazy Red IPA. It's a cool, cool name. I'm not big on IPAs personally. They're just like so hoppy, man. They're so bitter. Yeah, that's but, fair, man. I mean, it took me a while. To, <laughs> it took me a while to get used to IPAs, but I think it's like an acquired taste, kind of like coffee. I'm super yeah. duper craft coffee as well. And you, I love well, you coffee. work at you work at a a coffee shop currently, right? I work at a coffee factory actually oh that's even yeah. cooler than a so coffee shop we're like it's where we roast everything and flavor everything i work for like the biggest coffee roaster in new mexico and it's a it's a cool job i um Show off. <laughs> it's actually like it's not like a hipster thing at all though like like it's, it's a very just a very physical like factory job uh okay. but it's, a lot, it's a lot of fun and i it's uh i enjoy the coffee so yeah, man, my yeah. I I always drank like uh, I thought the Keurig was like the coolest thing, and like <laughs> my uh, yeah. wife and I have like the typical like coffee pot thing. When I moved yeah. here to South Florida, a buddy of mine, actually the worship pastor at the church that I worked at before, uh, his name's Marty. He introduced me to uh, craft coffee and uh, like pour over coffee with the Chemex nice. and like all this kind of stuff, um, and it it blew me away, man. So like I think a good craft coffee, just a, you know, a solid cup of coffee, uh, where you don't have to put creamer because it actually tastes how coffee should instead of yeah, like, burnt. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. And there's a lot of you, cool coffee shops around here too. 
Speaking of coffee, I have a yeah. – so with my job with the coffee company, um, we uh, we have something crazy coming up this week, which I don't know if I've told you about. So this week uh, we have in Albuquerque right now in October, it's balloon fiesta season. Sweet. Um, so the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta. I don't know if you – have you heard of that? No, that sounds cool though. Okay. So it's like the biggest hot air balloon event in the world. Wow. Um, so so there's like – <laughs> I don't know what the full number will be. I know at the peak, I think there were something like 1,300 balloons that participated. Wow. And it's like it's like nine days long. It goes – or maybe ten days. It's Saturday through Sunday. Like, okay. So it's going to start this Saturday, and it's going to go through the following Sunday. Um, and my company is the coffee sponsor of the balloon. Wow. Pasta. So it's, it's like a big party. Like there's a bunch of hot air balloons. They all do like this huge mass ascension in the morning. Uh, at night, they'll do balloon glows where they like – because they light up with the fire that they shoot up into a hot air balloon, but they don't take yeah. off. So it, it's really cool and beautiful. Um, and there's like all kinds rapture. of vendors. <laughs> <laughs> there's all kinds of food and oh, stuff, crap. you know, and people selling stuff. It's like a big festival with a bunch of yeah. hot air balloons. Um, it's a lot of fun. But we're the official cool. coffee sponsor. So I am working all week for the whole balloon fiesta except for the Sundays because I got the Sundays off. There you uh, go. To go to church, yeah. Church is um, cool. But I every day in the balloon fiesta except for the Sundays, I am working from two thirty in the morning to eleven thirty in the morning, starting tomorrow. Wow, wow. Yep. How long yeah. is that? That's it's a lot. Hours. It's a yeah, it's a good shift. Bit. Yeah. So over the course of the balloon fiesta, I'll be working seventy-two hours, I think. Right? Is that is my math right? Quick math, man. That's impressive. No, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Uh, Sixty-three it's hours. Not a- it's not impressive. Um, I lost interest. <laughs> and uh, it'll all be super early in the morning, but I'm excited about it. It'll be a lot of fun too. So yeah, Most if, if we happen cool. to have if we happen to have any Albuquerque locals or anyone who's coming to town for the balloon fiesta, um, look for Pinon Coffee because it's really good. Pinon Coffee. That so, sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys so you like make your own uh, like like roast your own coffee and stuff? Uh huh. Yeah. So there's. I mean, I work in the factory where the roaster is. I don't get to roast it. Um, <laughs> but but someone roasts it right next to me. Uh, I mostly do flavoring, so I'll like. Okay. I I I mix in all the flavoring with the coffee, which I enjoy because it's kind of a physical job. Um, yeah. It helps my back muscles get more defined. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Tamara so, loves that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah, anyway, sorry. That's so. That's just something cool. I'm excited about getting to. I'll get to ride around on a golf cart all week and drop off coffee to everyone, and there should cool. be fun. So, yeah, that's cool, man. I have to get my hands on some of that sometime. I have to order some online. Share with Marty. Marty would love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to send some to you guys. Um. So now that we've talked about that, which is everyone, I know you came here for that, so you can tune out now. Yeah, specifically, um, beer and coffee, it's important. Beer and coffee, that's all you care about. Uh, but <laughs> we have something really interesting to talk about today. I'm really excited about our Me topic too. for today, which is a book you mentioned at the end of the episode last week, a book by Scott McKnight yep. called Kingdom Conspiracy. And conspiracy dun, dun, is in italics, so you have to read it like that. Kingdom Conspiracy. And you have like to that. put the bum, bum, bum at the end of it. Bah! Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I can edit in some sound effects later. To, to I dig like, it. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> um, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
this is a great book. Uh, I don't agree with everything in it, but I really yeah, enjoyed reading either. it. Um, I, this is fascinating because Josh and I both disagree with things, maybe even some of the same things, actually. Yeah. Uh, but I also thought there was some really good stuff in it. So I'm excited to get into it. Um, Josh, I was hoping, since uh, you're the smart one here, I was hoping uh, that you could kind of give us a little bird's eye view of, of maybe some of the themes in this book, what some of the big ideas are. So okay. uh, for our listeners who haven't read it, they'll know what we're talking about. Yeah, most definitely. So um, the main idea, so I don't know, like a lot of people, maybe they're they're aware of this, maybe not, but there's there's kind of this tension uh, going on between like the gospel, like what we know traditionally is the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, this thing called the social gospel, right? Um, and so McKnight kind of, uh, he writes this book, Kingdom Conspiracy, and he talks about both of those things. He talks about uh, so the, go- the the social gospel bit here refers to those people as uh, the skinny jeans crowd, which I wear <laughs> skinny jeans and my my too. wife my wife loves it. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. But uh, anyway, the skinny jeans bit kind of leans towards more so like the social gospel kind of kind of side of things. And then he talks about the pleated pants people, uh, which mm-hmm. I think I only wear pleated pants. Uh, maybe never, but those those maybe people never. kind of yeah, <laughs> they kind of fit maybe more so the uh, the traditional like the the gospel of Jesus the uh, Jesus Christ kind of crowd the the gospel of Jesus, and so what he's saying is that um, both parties are kind of arguing and maybe talking past one another when in the in reality there is we can learn from both the skinny jeans bit and the pleated you know the pleated pants crowd, and so. He talks about that and, and relates it obviously to the uh, to the kingdom of God, and he really brings it back. I think a real big point of his uh, he he has a pretty high I guess ecclesiology. He points to the the church uh, very much so and says the church is uh, the people who are called to bring about the kingdom of God uh, right here, right now, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. And so any kind of kingdom work is done through the church, through the people, through Christ's body, um, and that the skinny jeans people, again, and the pleated pe- pleated <laughs> pants people. Pleated Pete's. <laughs> yeah, pleated Pete. That's that's specifically for Pastor Pete, the pleated Pete's. Uh, the pleated pant people uh, are both right, and we can learn from both of them as to how we should bring about the, the kingdom of God. But ultimately, he's really focused on the kingdom of God, how can we bring about that right here, right now, and what can we learn from both both of these groups of people? Yeah. Yeah, I would I would say he's what he's the fundamental question he's addressing is like what is the kingdom of God? Most definitely. And and so like you said, he has the skinny jeans people who I would say <laughs> maybe I wear skinny jeans, but I think theologically he would probably categorize me as a pleated pants person. Yeah. Um You have to get pleated but, pants. Yeah, I need to start wearing pleated pants, I guess. Uh you have the skinny jeans people who I would say maybe he would say have an over-realized eschatology. They think the kingdom yeah. is all about just transforming society now, right? And just right. doing good things in the world. And Most then you definitely. have the pleated pants people who he accuses, uh, which I would push back on what he says a little bit, but he accuses <laughs> the pleated pants people of uh, of having an under-realized eschatology, an under-realized idea of the kingdom, where the kingdom sure. is just what he puts it as is redemptive moments. Yeah. So the, all the kingdom is is like basically 
where God saves individual people. Right. Um, and so he, he wants to find a balance. And like you said, he connects it very heavily to the local church, which I actually really appreciated. Um, but his whole book, he's kind of – first of all, he takes takes us through a storyline of the Bible that, that focuses us on the idea of kingdom. Uh, and then he, he points to his definition of kingdom as essentially, if not identical with the church, then almost yeah. identical with it's, the church. It's, yeah, it's, it's super, um, super duper close. And then he talks about what he thinks of as kingdom mission, what the kingdom of God slash what the church – uh, should be like in light of the sure. fact that in light of the fact that he's trying to strike a middle balance right between uh, overrealized and underrealized eschatology. Like the kingdom is here now, but it's also not fully here. Right. Um, so he's trying to say, what does it look like to strike that balance? Um, yeah. So so there's a lot of good stuff in here. Thankfully for us, Mr. McKnight, if you ever hear this podcast, I want to say thank you. Uh, thank chapter you. Twelve, <laughs> chapter twelve of his book. It's like it's like he wrote this to be reviewed on a podcast. Um, I think so. He had in to. chapter twelve. He was just waiting for this. In chapter twelve, he uh, he lays out his kind of key points from the whole book. And so the way we're going to tackle this, we're going to talk about some other stuff along the way. Um, but the way we're going to start out uh, talking about some of the positive and negative aspects of the book are just going through these main points that he lays out uh, at the end of the book that kind of summarize his main argument throughout the book. So. Uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to take you through those points, talk about where we think he gets it right, where we would push back, and uh, hopefully encourage you to think about these ideas for yourself and maybe even encourage you to read the book for yourself and start thinking about this stuff. So with that, Josh, uh, do you want to take us away looking at some of these uh, first theses, his kingdom theses as he <laughs> titles the chapter? It's a good chapter name, Kingdom Theses, and I, I think... I was just looking at it. Oh, never mind. I was wrong. I was going to say it's chapter 12 with, with, with 12 kingdom theses, but he actually 14, has 15. Right? Oh, 15. 15, uh, yeah. He, that extra one is just for extra punch, you know, for fun. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's interesting, man, because like his, his first big point, which he sums up, he says that the word kingdom in Judaism, you know, the Old Testament, uh, Josephus, etc., has a natural synonym in the words nation and Israel. Not the words redemption or salvation. Thus, he says, kingdom is front and center about a people and cannot be limited either to a social ethic or a redemptive moment. So he, he kind of calls out both yeah. parties there. The skinny jeans and the pleated pants. Yeah. Yeah, he says, and, listen, and guys. And that kind of connects <laughs> – I'm almost thinking we can we can look at uh, the first couple points together. Yeah, most um, definitely. But he, he the, the thing I would push back on that a little bit, I agree. I think his whole point, because in the second point, he talks about how kingdom is, uh, with varying degrees of emphasis, a complex of king, rule, people, land, and law. And church is also a complex. King, Christ, a rule. Christ rules over the body of Christ. The people, the church, and the land expanding Israel into the diaspora and the law, the law of Christ, right? So he, he's basically saying kingdom and church are identical. Yep. Um. <clears throat> but where I would want to push back a little bit is it's I, it feels like he gets this right in the second point, but not in the first point. Is okay. I don't think that kingdom is always just people, and okay. maybe that's not what he's trying to say. Sure. But it seems like a lot of times he emphasizes the people point so much that he misses the the kind of aspect of kingdom that's talking about God's rule or God's dominion. Okay. 
And yeah, so, so how how would you expand on that? Like what how would you expand on that a little bit? What would you like yeah, to add I mean, to that? I, I all I would add, this isn't a major issue. Um sure. and I think but I think the the thing that I would push back on a little bit is and he's probably much smarter than me, I'm sure if he was here. <laughs> me. Um I'll invite him. I would want to push back on is I think I think he's right in identifying kingdom with the church and saying kingdom mm. is a people, like the kingdom of God. Like, the church is the people of the kingdom of God, so you can't separate the two. Sure. Uh, but I think that the <clears throat> the pushback would have to come on the kingdom isn't just the people. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you can't have the kingdom without the people, but there's more to the kingdom than just the people. Okay. And so I feel like he kind of hits that in his second point, right? He talks about kingdom is, with varying degrees of emphasis, a complex of king, rule, people, land, and law. Right. So I, I would agree with that definition, but I feel like within most of the book, that's not the definition he's working from. Sure. He doesn't – yeah, he doesn't bring that extra element. He's just focused it. on the people. And so right. that's just something – I don't know. I think that that could be tweaked a little bit. And I – how would that change his conclusions? I'm not sure. <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> that's just something I just – I thought could use some tweaking. But yeah. I don't know. What do you What do you think about that? No, I – I think you're right, man, because especially with the the fact that if it's just the people, then I think we leave out the most important element, which is, like, who's the king? And that, you know, that king is Jesus. Um, you know, so if we only focus on the people and what they're doing and we leave out the Jesus bit or or who's in charge of this, you know, kingdom of God, what what is this kingdom, uh, who has rule over this domain, then it, I agree with you. I think, I think it's missing out um, which? on the larger picture. To be fair, I do think he addressed the king thing. Like, he had a whole chapter on he did. the kingdom being defined by the king. Yeah. So I don't want to misrepresent it. Um, for sure. No, but, 100% but for sure. I agree. I think I just think he sometimes, when he's trying to make a point, I think he sometimes narrows his definition too much. Okay. Um, but, but overall, I think his second point is spot on, right? Kingdom is almost always, with the varying degrees of emphasis – a complex of king, rule, people, land, and law. Church is also a complex of king, a rule, a people, a land, and a law. Right. So, so here, and then in the third point, again, really these first few points are all just trying to make the argument that the church and the kingdom are essentially identical. So kingdom is right. eschatological, both present and future. The kingdom's future, this is point three, entails a flourishing fellowship of people following final judgment and the establishment of righteousness and that kingdom sets the tone for kingdom living now. Now, the church is also eschatological, both present and future. The church's future is also one of flourishing fellowship forever, according to the plan of God in history. So his point is, uh, and he he goes on again in point four. We don't have to read the whole point because it's a long point. But uh, his, his whole <laughs> point in these first like, four points, really, is that the church and the kingdom aren't two different things. So <clears throat> when, right. when people start to say, like, oh, well, you know, the church is small and the kingdom's big, right? Like, I'm not concerned with the church. I want to do kingdom work. His point is, <laughs> like, church work is kingdom work and kingdom work is church work. And uh, right. at, at the end of point four, I think a good summary, he says, we should see the terms as synonyms, right? We should see yes. kingdom of God and church as synonyms. They're not two separate ideas. Right. Yeah, they're both they're both one and the same. I think too what's what's really interesting, this is a little bit off topic but but still on topic as well. Um in point 3 and and in the book he talks about this a little bit. And it was just helpful to me, especially as somebody who 
uh, has worked in other churches and is working in a, a church right now. Um, when he's thinking about the church's eschatological as well and seeing that it is, you know, right now and also in the future, it, it helped me because a lot of the times, and I mean, people criticize the church in this way uh, consistently, like, oh, you guys are hypocrites. The church does, gets all this stuff wrong. And, you know, I like to think that way, too. You know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes, like, I, you know, I like to criticize the church and say, man, like, you know, this is why the church sucks and this is why Jesus is better. But um, he just provided, for me at least, a helpful reminder that the church is not yet fully realized, just like the yeah. kingdom is not yet fully realized. And so um, instead of just hating on the church, um, instead, it's almost like, I should expect this because the church is made up of, of people that aren't yet perfect. And so in the future, the church will be perfect, uh, you know, when on the other side of eternity. But it, it was just helpful for, helpful for me to remember that the church is made up of imperfect beings uh, that are striving to be something greater than themselves. Yeah, no, I think that's a great reminder because it can be tempting to, to fall too far on either side to expect nothing of the church or to expect everything of the church. Right. And we need to remember, right, that that the kingdom, which I, I will accept for now, I think he's essentially right that the kingdom and the church are identical realities. For sure. Um, that, that the kingdom, that the church, is partially realized now, but we're not – it's not in its fullness. Yeah. And so we need to be able to to strive for for what we're supposed to be, but also – we need to have grace for the failures right now. <laughs> Most if definitely. You can't, if you can't, like he gave an example of someone kind of famous, I can't remember who, but if you can't accept an imperfect church, then you're going to become a one-man church. Like you won't be able to be part of of the body of Christ. Yeah, most definitely. Like, and I, I hope too. Like, <laughs> I just like thinking about that smaller scale. I think about this, the students that, you know, God has blessed me with, uh, in in the ministry that, uh, you know, I have the pri- privilege of overseeing. Like, I hope that the students don't look to me as, you know, some kind of perfect individual and that when yeah. I fail, it shatters their faith completely because I, I think that's super unhealthy. Um, yeah, so yeah. it's a good reminder. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Um, so, yeah, so really we've kind of bounced around a little bit at the beginning of these first few points, but the main the main drift of these first four points really is the church and the kingdom are identical. And yeah. And, yep. and I think largely he's right there. I think uh, we can't see the kingdom of God as one thing and the church as a totally separate thing. They're inseparable realities. Right. Uh, and I think that's an important thing to remember because when people talk about, oh, well, I'm doing kingdom work, like the question that he asked, I think, is a good question to ask. Like, well, is it connected to the church? Like, is it is it building up or encouraging or strengthening the body of Christ? Because that's what kingdom work does. Um, and I would... I would disagree with some of the ways he applies that once again, but okay. But I think on the basic concept, we're in agreement. I don't know. How do you feel about that that idea of the yeah. church and the kingdom as synonyms? So I think I think he is right. But where where I would push back on is I think too because he kind of shuts down and says like, oh, people that are are not connected to a church body that are doing things that are good, that's not kingdom work. Stuff yeah. that we could maybe argue is morally good, um, and I'm interested to see what you think about this. I think I get the sentiment of what he's saying, and I agree that kingdom work um, attached to the church is, is like that's right. But I also think that God can work with and through anybody and at any time, 
And so what if, you know, what if God is doing something super cool uh, in and through the life of somebody right now that isn't necessarily connected to a church? Uh, would that then be disqualified as kingdom work? Um, if, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. That's kind of where, see, where my mind goes to. And I think I would actually agree with him on this one that I think the idea is the concept of the kingdom of God, right, is the kingdom is what the church is, which is the redeemed people of God, right, under his, living under his rule. Most and definitely. obviously there's, there's a sense in which everything is under God's rule. Especially right. me as a good reformed person, right? I believe that God is sovereign <laughs> over everything. And so I, I believe the whole universe is under God's rule, but the kingdom is under his rule in a special, in a, with a special relationship as the redeemed people of God. Sure. And so I think I would agree with him that there's a difference between just what God is doing and right. how God is building his kingdom. And so I think you can't have God's kingdom being built or God's kingdom being worked upon where you don't have the church being built, the church being worked upon. Um, and he makes an important distinction that we're not talking about a specific visible institution. Right. Because, you know, Roman Catholics could take that and run with it and be like, wherever there's not the Roman Catholic church, there isn't the kingdom of God. Right. Uh, but we're talking about the universal church, right? Anyone who's redeemed by Christ. Yeah, for and sure. So, so I would agree with him. I think that you don't have – he definitely convinced me you don't have – kingdom where you don't have the church no you know what man i think yeah i, I think you're right i maybe am i allowed to retract statements yeah no well that's the <laughs> point think, right i we're get just, it no like I, I definitely yeah i 100 percent see that because i mean i'm a huge advocate like of i'm the kind of person that like i don't want to associate myself with any kind of like state or empire of this world because i'm all about the kingdom of god and so then yeah. in the way that you just phrased it like makes perfect sense to me then the kingdom of god is the redeemed people of god which like what is the church that is what the church is the redeemed yeah. people of god it's not just this institution so i think you know i think you're right i think your your phrasing of it uh is spot on well thanks i'm glad <laughs> glad we were able to uh, work through that good job um, man. but now well, this this is where you're interest is going to really just bump up. So I'd say, I think really the next three points, once again, kind of flow together. Um, point five, he's talking about the church's historical temptation is to make kingdom, in quotes, public by aligning itself with the state or powers of culture, often called the Constantian temptation. So it's this idea that both people on the political left and right have succumbed to the desire to try to build God's kingdom uh, through political means, basically. And he continues that on right in 6. He talks about most of Christian activism is rooted in the social gospel, which turns Christians into public advocates, Sure. Uh, which that's point 6. Uh, point 7, uh, he talks about liberation theology in that point too. In point 7, he talks about how Christ came to build the church, slash kingdom not to make the world a better place and not for the common good right so those three points kind of sit together right he's saying christians have always had this temptation to try to use political power to use the systems of the world to build the kingdom whatever we think that is right uh, but we need to realize that building the kingdom actually doesn't look like changing our society it looks like through political means anyway but it looks like yeah building christ's church sure yeah, no, and I, I, that might be my favorite part, <laughs> my yeah. favorite part of the book, man. Just like you were saying, yeah, because I mean, I've always struggled with that. I, I mean, I, I take a lot of heat of it, uh, heat for it, um, 
you know, but I've never been a big fan of trying to push policy or, you know, bringing the kingdom, quote unquote, through the, you know, political powers uh, that be in the country that we live in. And that's not me. You know, I'm constantly consistently accused of being anti-America, like you're a bad patriot. You hate this country. Uh, I don't feel that way. I think I'm super blessed to be here, uh, to live in a country where I'm allowed to speak out against things uh, without being killed. That's pretty cool. Uh, you know, otherwise yeah. I'd be super uncomfortable saying, you know, saying these things in the podcast. But I definitely don't think that political power, power over forcing people, you know, coercively uh, through violence and, and military uh, you know, repercussions to, you know, abide in some kind of, you know, Christian uh, agenda or whatever. I don't think that's healthy because Jesus consistently, we see Jesus serving people as a power under through service. Never did Jesus, you know, draw a sword on somebody and say, this is the law you have to follow or else I'm going to kill you. And so I struggle uh, when people, you know, are, I don't know, like I feel... <laughs> I feel like the church is too often caught in bed with, you know, whatever political party they want to associate with. Traditionally, yeah. it tends to be more so the Republican Party. And, you know, I'm not trying to be divisive, but that just, you know, that's what it is. The, the religious right. The church is caught in bed with them. They're trying to they're they're hungry for for power so they can, you know, push over their means. And I I just don't see Jesus acting that way. Yeah. Um, and I, well, I, think I think it's. Yeah, go for it. To be fair, he does point out, I think, rightly, that the theological left has also, in many ways, done the same thing with the political left, with things oh, like oh, the social gospel, like most liberation definitely. theology. Um, but I agree. I think I think you're totally right that we um, – there was another book that came out more recently. It's not super new anymore, but it's called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. Um, yeah, I've actually, read that book. I haven't read it, but I've heard a lot about it, and I feel like it kind of addresses some of that same issue – of the church, we oftentimes find ourselves thinking that the way we build the kingdom, the way we spread Christ, is just totally neutral. It's just a matter of how we use everything. And sure. we can just use the world's power systems uh, for our own cause. And the problem is a lot of times that when we try to adopt the world's power systems, the world's way of gaining power, gaining control, we end up poisoning ourselves and poisoning <laughs> our own mission. Just a bit. <laughs> Yeah, so so I think he's kind of hitting on some of the same ideas here. That, yeah. Um, but what what I think he brings it all back to is it's based on a faulty understanding of what the kingdom is. Right. Um, right. One hundred percent. The kingdom isn't about as the skinny jeans people would say. Right. The kingdom isn't just about making the world a better place, uh, or as he yep. would say, the pleated, the pleated pants people would say, it's not just about individual salvation, uh, but it's about building. Christ's church, building the redeemed community of people uh, who are reconciled to God. And so um, I think, again, here on most of the stuff, I agree with him. The The whole thing about we shouldn't be so focused on political activism and yeah. anything like that. Uh, I would almost want to push back on the other direction, which he doesn't talk about as much in this point. Um, but like on the opposite side, I feel like coming from probably what he would call the pleated pants perspective. <laughs> sure. Um, I feel like he decentralizes redemption a little bit. Okay. And uh, to a fault, I think. He, I think he de-emphasizes it. And we'll get to that more as we get into more of these points. But what I think he 
he avoids. I think he he does a good job of avoiding extremes, but yeah. I think he I think he misses the center a little bit still. If you get what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Um, no. Most definitely. So like, for me then, man, like I, how I would phrase it, and um, I, I'm interested to see what you would say if you would agree with this more than maybe what what McKnight is saying is. I would say that like the salvation bit is super important. Like we like the work that Christ has done, you know, through the cross salvation uh, for us is important. But I think that our salvation is, is not just necessarily about ourselves, but we're then called into something. And I think the skinny jeans people, uh, like for maybe forget that bit, um, about the importance of like the centrality of what Jesus has done for us. We're called into something. Our salvation is about something God is calling us into. And then where they get right is like, maybe some of the stuff that they talk about, comes out of is a result of our salvation and relationship with Christ. Yeah, and the the distinction he makes in the book though is like a lot of this doing stuff for the common good. He's he's not saying it's bad to do things for the common good. Right. Uh, but he's saying that um he's saying that social activism and things like that that aren't directly connected to the local church they're not kingdom work. They're right. good things, right. but it's different than building the kingdom. Um, which I think is a good way to put it because <clears throat> once again, even as someone who's not, who's very, I'm very opposed to social gospel and things like that. And <laughs> I, I think it's good to be active in doing good things in your community, right. Right. but I think where, where it can be dangerous if you fall into calling that the gospel or calling that building the kingdom. Right. Where that, yeah, where that strict, yeah, no, I, I can, I get that sentiment, man, where it's not, yeah, where that's just like the gospel is you know, doing these things, it is activism, it is those things, because it takes away from what, what Christ has done for us, the work the work that he has done. I I get that. Yeah. So, um, I guess let's move on to the next couple of points. Where, <laughs> uh, I feel like there's so much in here that it's just like... It's a dense book. Trying to pack it all. Yeah. It's a tall order, but... It is. Keep moving. So that's why so everyone point, should go read it themselves. That's why you should read it. This is really just like a little introduction to get you thinking. Um, but God is eight, paying us. <laughs> no. Uh, just uh, point eight: the the character of a king determines the character of the kingdom. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's talking about how the character of who Jesus is determines what his people should be like. Uh, I I agree with that in principle. Um, yeah. Once again, though, here here's where I think we're going to run into that de-emphasizing redemption that I, that concerns me a little bit. So in point nine, he does say kingdom citizens are Jesus redeemed humans. He does say that who have been saved from sin, liberated from cosmic powers and who are conquering systemic evil through the power of the spirit. Unredeemed persons are not kingdom citizens. So only the redeemed can do kingdom work. I think that is it. I think once again, he makes a good distinction there. Yeah. Point 10, he talks about uh, a, a biblical understanding of the world. So yes. he's talking about we need to understand what – so we understand what the kingdom is. What is not the kingdom? What is the world outside of the kingdom? And so that's what he calls – he likes the definition that he got from uh, someone else called structured unbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to – he opposes that to the traditional reformed kind of understanding of culture. Um, and so he he thinks that – the idea of culture making, things like that, of engaging the culture, can oftentimes uh, cause the people of God not to separate themselves enough from the world. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. What, what do you think about that, Josh? Do you think 
that there's an issue there? Do you think our tendency today is to be too separate from the world, to be not separated enough? How do you, how do you see that distinction of, of seeing the world as structured unbelief versus culture? Yeah, that's that's always been a hard one for me, man, because I think, like, you know, the if we separate ourselves from the world completely, then we just become an inward focused group. It's all about ourselves. It's all about we're going to stay in here because it's safe. This is our Christian bubble. This is our church. We don't need to be out there. But then if you become too heavily focused on things that are worldly, um, and I would argue maybe like what I was saying earlier, like, uh, you know, political gain and, and politics and, and political power, one of those things that are too worldly, if you become so in, in involved in that, so entrenched in that, and that's where you put your faith and your hope and your trust, then you're, you're missing the point. Um, so I think, I don't know, it's, it's a tough balance. It's a, it's a balance of, of, I mean, I know this is the Christian quote unquote Sunday school answer, but being in the world, but not of the world. Um, yeah. I think for me, um, maybe, maybe this will, this will be helpful for me. I would rather, um, be, get out. Like it's easy to sit on your butt and say, uh, what's a hot topic issue like abortion. It's easy to sit on your butt and say, Hey, abortion is wrong. Um, and that's your way of, you know, pronouncing the gospel and being against the world. Uh, but it's more difficult to go out and to maybe go to an abortion clinic and find these women who are, are struggling and going through these terrible times and pray for them or offer to adopt their children or to do these things. So I think there's a difference between just saying things legalistically versus going out and actually doing things. And I think that stems from uh, our salvation in, in Christ, if that makes sense. I don't yeah, know if that answered no. your question. I think, um, I think you're right. I think, I think the difficulty I had with his distinction and this kind of connects back to the whole idea about being involved in politics, too. The difficulty I had with his distinction a little bit was that at times I, I do agree with him that the church should be, in a sense, he likes to talk about the church as an alternative community, right? The church yeah. is like an alternative vision of what of what humanity can be, in a, in a sense. And I agree with that. I think that's a great way to frame it. Uh, but I think his his encouragement to stay out of politics and other things like that doesn't line up with the rest of the vision he's presenting. Okay. Because, because here's the reality. I mean, I agree that a lot of times we are too, too absorbed in politics, too absorbed in, in worldly power. Sure. Things like that. But I'm not satisfied with the solution that says like, well, we just can't touch politics at all. Like we just have to, you know? So I, I think there has to be a Christian, especially living in a society like the United States where, it's not just government officials who are involved in politics, right? Like we all are supposed yeah. to vote. It's a it's a representative democracy. It's a republic. So we're all involved in the political process. That's the nature yep. of our society. And so to say that Christians just shouldn't touch that, I don't I don't find that to be a very satisfying solution. And sure. I, I don't think it's necessarily the only biblical solution either. I mean, if you look at uh, throughout the biblical story. The early church, Jesus did not get involved in the political process, and I think that's a good example to us in some ways. Uh, but if you look at the Old Testament, for example, like look at Daniel, who he was heavily involved in the political world of <laughs> yeah. Babylon, right? Sure. And so, and he was able to faithfully serve God there. Uh, now, he wasn't 
I think that he had to be very careful. I think there was a lot of temptation there. But or Joseph, who was heavily involved in the political world of Egypt. Sure. Um, I think there has to be a Christian way to handle that involvement because it does come, not to everyone, right. not at all times, but it does come. And so when Christians are faced with the need to somehow engage the political process, I don't think our only answer can be to just turn away. And I don't right. I don't feel like he gives a satisfying alternative. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. I've I've me I mean me personally I've struggled with that too because I think, you know, total disinvolvement uh is not helpful because I think anytime for example, if you see an issue in politics and then you just ignore it, I think not speaking about something is just as good as being complacent with something. Like you're agreeing with it because you're not speaking out against it. Um, I, so I don't know. It, it's it's tough, man, because I think that the church, the the kingdom of God, the people of God should be able to live together in a way. You know, the Bible says that they will know that we are Christians by our love, that we should be able to live together in a way that shows people – uh, outside of the kingdom, why the kingdom is so great, and that and that draws them in and builds this yeah. intentional community. So I yeah. struggle with like how far does that kingdom need to go to show yeah. people that way to bring them in. And I personally, I'm not comfortable with um, like. <laughs> Oh, I struggle because, like, I know people that are are super great people that are in, that are heavily involved in politics, um, and I wouldn't say that they are any less Christian than I am, but I disagree with their involvement because I think what ends up happening is we put our faith in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or uh, you know whoever the president is, rather than putting our faith in Christ. Like to me, I don't care yes, who the president. Yeah. I I don't care who the president is. I'm still gonna live out my life in the way that that I feel called to do so, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, trying to emulate Christ and bring the kingdom of God to the rest of the world. It doesn't matter who the political party is. I, but I and think, I agree. I think. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's fair for, to, to question, like, well, what is that alternate reality? What what else can we do? Um, yeah. And I, I don't know, man, because I don't, I don't even know if I'm satisfied with my own answer. But I think living in a way that shows people a, a way that is better, being an intentional alternative society that people want to be a part of, to me, is right. But that also seems almost like too good to be true. Like it's well, not, it's not feasible, at least on this side of eternity. Here's the thing: is I. I don't know if it has to be an either or. Like, I do agree with his concept that the church should be an alternative community, right? Like, church, sure. the church, in a sense, we're in a very sense almost like – this is going to sound weird, but we're almost like <laughs> a different race, right? Because we've been redeemed right. out of Adam into Christ. So we're yep. different people now. We're As redeemed people, we're different. Um, but I I also see – how, and again, I think there's an important distinction. He makes a distinction. We shouldn't call political work for the common good kingdom work. And I can accept sure. that uh, yep. because the, he is, I accept his identification of the church and the kingdom being very, very similar or identical. Um, but what I think the important distinction for us to make is that – or the important idea that I would want to get across is that we can't just be totally disengaged from the world around us. And that, I don't mean that we always have to be trying to take political control because I don't think we do. Sure. Uh, but I don't – like I think that it just inevitably – there will be times where we're forced to engage politics in some way or another. 
Yeah. And I think we have to have a vision for what that looks like. We have to have a vision for what it looks like to do that well, to be salt and light in those situations. Um, yeah. And so, what do you think about? What do you think about? I mean, this this person comes to mind, and and you might not necessarily. I well, I can almost almost guarantee that you don't like all of their theology, but uh, a person comes to mind to me that I think does this at least exceptionally well comparatively as uh, is, is a gentleman by the name of Shane Claiborne. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he, I know you laugh, but he, so he, he put his books or whatever aside that you don't want to talk about, but like mm-hmm. he is a living example. Like he has created an intentional community. He has worked hand in hand and continues to work with homeless people, with the dejected, with the rejected, uh, people of society, bring them in to relationship with God. He works to, you know, help, uh, continue to take care of, you know, the earth, which is, you know, one of our first, if not the first command uh, that God gives us in the book of Genesis. And he does all of these, all of these things so beautifully, creates community, you know, works for peace. Uh, he's literally carrying out like the, you know, turn your weapons into plow, plow head or plowshare bits, whatever the, <laughs> the, the thing is. But he also still semi involves in politics because he, you know, he's consistently getting arrested for, um, you know, speaking out against, uh, you know, the political norm of the day or whatever. I don't I don't know if that's a good example or not, but he seems like to me, even if you disagree with his theology, at least somebody who is is thinking maybe along the right tracks. Yeah, see, so to me, and I don't know his theology super well, um, sure. but super Anabaptist. What, what almost <laughs> strikes me, though, as someone who is kind of, and again, I want to get to this with Scott McKnight. I know we have a lot to cover. Um, but someone who has almost de-emphasized redemption to a fault, like okay. as in reconciliation to God. Uh, right. Not that he doesn't necessarily have that anywhere in his theology, but I think he – and and again, I think a lot of the stuff that he's doing, <clears throat> helping homeless people, all that kind of stuff, I think that's good work. But I, I feel like he almost – I feel like he overemphasizes that stuff and de-emphasizes – uh, reconciliation to God through the work of Christ. Okay. And and so and so that actually that brings me to a point. I know that we have more points to cover in this kind of overview, but just for no, the sake of it, time man. to to get into, I think one of my probably my biggest disagreement with this book. Um, I mean, amongst some of the smaller ones, like disagreement a little bit about political engagement and stuff like that. I think my biggest disagreement is the idea. That are the the way that he frames the story of the Bible. Okay. So and, and because I think that leads to what I've mentioned a couple of times now, the de-emphasis of redemption by Christ, of reconciliation to God by Christ's work. Sure. Um, and so so the, the kind of the two storylines, just to summarize for those who have not read the book, two storylines that he kind of presents. He presents the traditional pleated plants. Pleated plants. <laughs> pleated plants <laughs> story of the Bible, which is creation, fall, redemption, consummation. So that's the idea that, you know, in the beginning God creates the world. Humanity sins and plunges the world into a state of sin, the fall, right? Uh, then redemption. God begins the covenant of redemption with, or covenant of grace with Abraham. And that carries all the way and is, and is fulfilled, brought to, brought to a, climax in Christ and so Christ redeems us right he saves us reconciles us to God and then consummation is the idea of in the future we're going to be fully perfected we're going to be fully in the presence of God God's going to completely remove all stain of sin from the world 
Um, mm-hmm. as, you know, as Revelation talks about, he'll wipe away every tear and he will be our God and we will be his people. And so McKnight, he says, that's okay, but I feel like that's really just a minor story within what the real main storyline of the Bible is, which is what he calls the ABA story. And so the ABA story, what he calls that, he says God had his plan A, where he was the king over everyone. And so his people sinned, but he forgave them and continued to be their king in Israel. Mm-hmm. And so that's plan A for, for McKnight. Um, and then in First Samuel chapter 8, people of Israel demand a king, right? The people of Israel, they want a human king, like all the people around them. And so that shifts to plan B because that was not plan A, right, to have a human king. God was supposed to be the king. So plan B is human king. So God gives them a human king, and uh, he gives them David eventually, who's like the ideal king, who is still supposed to kind of represent God to the people, help mediate. Uh, But then eventually, you know, the exile happens, all that, and that things fall apart. Plan B is kind of not going well. And then plan A comes back around. Christ comes to once again have God be directly king over his people. Yeah. And so that's what he calls the kingdom story. And I don't know, do you think I did justice to the basic storyline, if you want to amend that at all? No, I, I think that was um, fair, that you you did a good job. Well done. Um, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really touched. Uh, but so the basic, the basic idea, he, he's framing the story, the, the focal points of his story are when Israel asks for a human king, and then when Jesus comes to be the new king, and my big my big beef with that there's I have two problems with that kind of switches of the storyline. Uh, first of all, I don't think that it's biblically biblically warranted to see that as the primary storyline of scripture, that ABA, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't see any biblical evidence. I just don't think it's biblically warranted to see First Samuel eight as like the major hinging point of the biblical storyline. Sure, I think it makes That's way fair. more sense. Just based on the attention given to it and based on the effects it has throughout the rest of the story of the Bible, I think it, see, it makes way more sense to see the fall of man as a, as a big hinging point, to see the redemption of Christ as a big hinging point, to see consummation as a big hinging point. Now, first stimulate, that's obviously a pivotal moment in the history yeah. of Israel, and it defines a lot of things, and I think it's an important thing for helping us define our idea of kingdom still, but I don't think that there's a, there's strong biblical evidence for seeing that as the the major like pivot in the biblical storyline. So right. I think I think just on biblical evidence alone the C, the CFRC story makes more sense. Sure. Um, but then but then also I think the problem with the ABA I think it decentralizes redemption. And Yeah. And that's kind of my biggest beef with the book is I I he doesn't deny redemption. I don't like Right. And so I don't want to be heard as saying that. He he does believe, he even says substitutionary atonement in the book. I was very pleased. Um, <laughs> he does believe in it. that. Um, and he does talk about, at times, he talks about the kingdom being Jesus, redeemed people were redeemed by Christ. But I think his the picture of the kingdom, the picture of the church that comes across in his book overall, ends up being more about what the people of the kingdom are doing. Yeah than about what's been done to make them part of the kingdom. And so sure. and so I, he doesn't have anything that's like super wrong in and of itself with those things, but I, I feel like his emphasis is off. I think right. I think that we need to put more emphasis on the work of Christ and what he's done for us, how he's brought us into the kingdom, and then that shapes who we are. It shapes what we do, absolutely. But I think the emphasis needs to be on 
on the the grace of God in the gospel before we put the emphasis on what we do, you know, our who we are as a moral community, what it looks like to ha- like live more like the morals of Jesus, things like that. Um, so really, my biggest issue is one of not of like a, a clear cut disagreement, but more of emphasis. Yeah. No, I think I think that's interesting because I think maybe surprising surprisingly to, to some of the listeners, I I actually agree with you. Um, I think it's super important. I think that he has the right idea, but again, I think the emphasis is slightly off. I think that we have to have the emphasis on the work of Christ, on salvation, on what God has done for us before we can even touch the things that come because of that. Like if we yeah. if if salvation doesn't happen, if if Christ doesn't do the things that he did, then we don't even have the opportunity to, quote-unquote, do kingdom work because we don't know what that looks like. So I think the emphasis, first and foremost, has to be on Jesus did these amazing things, you know, for us. And then we can take that and say, wow, you know, because of the redemption, because of salvation, uh, we can now bring that to other people and we can do the works of the kingdom and grow the kingdom of God. But if the focus isn't on Christ, then I think it, it almost becomes, you know, it becomes dangerous uh, because I think ultimately yeah. everything always has to be focused uh, on Christ. Yeah. And, and so again, I think, I think McKnight gets a lot of things right. Um, I think mm-hmm. his book is, it was helpful for me to think about and I'm still thinking about a lot of it about how it, what it means for our engagement with the culture, because I do tend to be more of that reformed strain of, I think culture engagement is a good thing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Although, um, so, so that's, I think it's a good challenging book, but I think the emphasis, especially not even just in his own book, but his emphasis could then be taken even further by someone else. And then you lose redemption a little more. And then it's, you know, it's taken even further and you right. lose redemption even more. And so I think and it's it just becomes a about slippery worse. slope. Yeah, it's yeah. a slippery slope to be on. Um, so, yeah, so we're – I guess we're about out of time. We did not make it through everything, uh, but it's already been like 50 minutes, I think. So Yeah, that's uh, okay, he, man. We can we can encourage people to, to go and pick up the book for themselves and, yeah. and read it and engage it. Uh, yeah, this is a good book to read, a lot to unpack, as you can tell by, like, how we were just scrambling to throw things in and try to cover everything. Um <laughs> And once again, you know, Josh and I, we're not experts on this stuff. We're just, we are trying to have conversations about it and get people thinking and get ourselves thinking. So hopefully this has been beneficial. Hopefully this will encourage you to think more on the topic of kingdom, how we relate to the world. Uh, and yeah, any any parting thoughts, Josh? I don't know, man. That <laughs> I don't have too many parting thoughts. I just... I don't know. Remember the awesome things that that Christ has done for me. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely need some help. I'll tag you and Andy. But just remember things that Christ has done for you. And and any good works aren't a bad thing. You know, working for the benefit of the community and working with homeless people and working to bring about, um, you know, peace and the kingdom of God. There's those aren't bad things. But just remember that the reason that you even have the opportunity to do that is because of the work that Christ has done for us. Yeah. And the emphasis always has to be there. That that would be my parting words. Those things aren't bad, but just remember why you're doing those things and who has given you the ability and the authority to do that because you would have zero opportunity to do that if if, if Christ hasn't done the things that he has, he has done for us. Amen. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think that's a good note to end on. So thanks for listening. Once again, you can uh, contact us, 
correct us, rebuke us at uh, <laughs> theologydoesn'tsuck.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we will have more exciting episodes coming up in the near future, so stay tuned. Come back next week. We look forward to chatting with you once again. Peace and love. Pasta. <laughs> Thank you.